Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. morning. Hey, if you're new with us, my name's Spence. I serve as the lead pastor here at Mercy Church, preaching this weekend from our Mercy Northeast campus. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Man, praise God for what he is doing here. Uh, My family and I, we attend and belong to our Providence Road campus, but man, we are one church that meets in three locations on the weekend, and it's a joy to worship with you guys. Man, my hope is to get down Union County sometime soon. That video you saw about Starting Point, um, I just want you to hear from that if you're new with us. We just believe that you were, God created you to belong, okay? To have a relationship with him and to belong in community with his church family. And so starting point, regardless of where you are in your walk with Jesus. I mean, people come to Mercy Church from kind of all different walks of life. Some of you might've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you're just kind of new, uh, new to the city maybe, and you just moved in or some of you, uh, I heard a story, a guy came last week, it's his first time ever being in a Protestant church. And he's like, I don't know what's going on here. So regardless of what your background is, starting point here at Mercy is your starting point, all right? Your place to find out a little more about who we are, what we're about. Uh, you get to meet some of our leaders and pastors and ask your questions. And we know that we're not gonna be the church for everybody, but we hope we can be the church for anybody. And that's a place where you can figure out, man, is this the right spot for you? All right, so that's starting point. I do wanna say, if, for those of you that have been through starting point and membership class and you're a member, we do have a quick kind of exciting little family business moment that I wanna tell you. Today, um, we are opening up our recommendations for new elders for Mercy Church, all right? Um, in a, just one phrase, elders are the leaders of the church. And we take that super seriously here. And the way we do, look, our current body of elders is excited to begin assessing and training more elders. Our church is growing. We need that. Uh, but the way we do this is the members of Mercy Church recommend those that they think will be qualified to serve as elders of Mercy Church, okay? So you can go to mercycharlotte.com slash elders, and you can see everything about our process kind of all laid out there really well, all right? Uh, but here's my one thing. We got about two weeks that we'll have this recommendation open, two to three weeks, something like that. It's on the website. But before you recommend someone, you need to tell that person you're recommending them, okay? Like, don't be surprising any of these guys that their lives are really full and everything else, and you're like, oh, by the way, I did this. No, no, no. I want you to let them know and actually get their endorsement on you recommending them, okay? So if you, you find someone that you think, uh, a man you think is qualified for the role, first talk to them, all right? And, um, and all of that, here's what I want you to hear. Whether it's starting point or it is um, the elder thing, I want you to hear we believe the church is more than a worship event, all right? That's really big for us. It's a community that cares for one another, loves one another, disciples one another to look more like Jesus, all right? We do that all together. Uh, And I know I'm biased, but I think this is a really good one we got here, all right? Family business done. Let's get into our sermon. Colossians, if you got your Bible, head over to the New Testament book of Colossians. We are in chapter three. 
And we opened our year in this book because it contains this simple, powerful call that I'm hoping sets the tone for Mercy Church in 2024. This call comes out of chapter one. You can get to chapter three and chapter one's kind of been our key verses for the series. Paul says he, Jesus, is before all things and by him, all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. And we said over and over and over, there is a difference between Jesus being among the things in your life and him being before all things in first place in everything in your life. And the false religion of cultural Christianity says, just put Jesus among all things on the shelf, right? Just have him as one among those things, maybe come to church a few times a year, be a pretty good moral person. That's Jesus among all things. And he did not come to be among all things in your life. He came to have first place in everything. So as we walk through this letter, we've been walking through what it looks like to move him to first place in everything. A lot easier said than done, right? That's why we have that discipleship plan that I hope you'll uh, continue following along with to help you take concrete steps. And we'll talk about that again a little today. Well, today in chapter three, what the apostle Paul is going to do now is he's going to start getting really practical and a little bit invasive into our lives about what it means to put Jesus first place in everything. Uh, Basically, from here to the end of the book, so the next three weeks for us in terms of sermons, Paul's going to talk about the Christian ethic, okay? What does it mean to live out of who we are? Not to earn God's favor, not so that God will like us, but because of what God has done for us, how do we then live? And what he's going to use, we'll see it in verse 10 today of chapter 3, he's going to use this language of old self, new self. And he's going to kind of talk about them like they're clothing. Like you need to take off the old self and then put on the new self. And he's going to say, once you, when you put on the new self, you should look a little different, right? Like you put on new clothes and he's going to talk about internal and external, like the internal, your thoughts, your motivations, your desires, they should be different because you have put on the new self, but also external, the way you interact with other people, it should look different because you're wearing new clothes. You are different and so you should look different. This finally, this whole old self, new self, putting off, putting on started to resonate for me about five years ago. Um, Five years ago, I bought uh, a pair of Jordans, okay? Uh, Same pair I'm wearing this morning. Um, But when I bought them, here's the thing, I didn't know what I was buying, okay? The deal was I'd started playing pickup basketball a little bit with some guys and the only tennis shoes that I owned were, you know, I called them tennis shoes first off. And not only that, they were like new balances or something like that. The same thing I mowed the yard in, okay? I was like, go play basketball. And I was like, man, I'm starting to play a little more. Maybe I need some basketball shoes. Well, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan, obviously. Go Tar Heels. Did you guys see the Carolina blue sky this morning? Just the Lord blessing our, I won't show you my undershirt, um, but it's UNC. Um, anyways, so I'm like, well, he's the greatest basketball player. He's got a shoe line. I'll get some Jordans. So I got some Jordans and I immediately, I was like, this is a very nice box for rare basketball shoes. I immediately went out and played basketball in my brand new Jordans, okay? A couple days later, I see Pastor Richard. Now, Pastor Richard is our unofficial pastor of shoes at Mercy Church. If you don't know that, um, if you've been around him, you know this. Anyways, I said, hey man, I got a pair of Jordans. He was like, really? Kind of skeptical. I was like, yeah, and I gotta tell you, they're pretty comfortable, but they're actually not that great to play basketball in. And he goes, oh, man. Um, just kind of 
if you know Richard, he's like, oh man, does one of these. And he's like, <laughs> you, he explains to me that you don't play basketball in Jordans. He says, Jordans, and he goes, they are a fashion sneaker. I did not have that category, okay? I did not know that was a thing. And he said, your problem is you do not understand the value of the shoes that you have. If you did, you'd treat them differently. So he introduces me to the whole sneaker kingdom, which is a crazy world, okay? Um, and, but then he starts like, hey, I need to train you in how to walk in the shoes that you're standing in. He's like, because you do not know how to walk in them. He's like, rule number one, do not crease the Jordans. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, you know, this, again, right? Got to teach me that. But then rule number two, do not walk in the grass on them. That is why the Lord made sidewalks. Never walk in the grass on these things, right? And then number three, don't play ball in them because it'll violate rule number one, okay? So I'm like, oh, so you, you should have seen me. Like, I'm 35 years old in my house, unlearning bad ways of walking and learning how to walk all over again, right? And the point in all of this illustration is, if somehow, Michael Jordan, you're watching this, you can send me Jordans and I will treat them well, okay? That's, that's not it. But the point is, our passage of scripture is going to celebrate this new self that we are already standing in, in Christ. New life we have in Christ. And then what Paul's going to do is he's going to kind of help us unlearn old ways of walking in the old self and learn new ways of walking, walking in the new self that Christ has already given us and that we're standing is. And I think it's gonna be great because it's really honest about the whole process of walking with Jesus. That's discipleship, y'all. Celebrating what we are already standing in, the new self God has given us, starting from there and then walking. And this passage is gonna highlight the struggle that takes place when we unlearn old ways of walking and then learn how to walk in the new life. So what you'll see, if it feels like there are two lists that kind of start to pop up today, that, that's accurate. Old self, new self. Again, the self language coming out of verse 10. But it all starts with an if-then statement right out of the gate. So you probably will find yourself, if you've gotten, taken notes, two columns, old self, new self. But before that, there's an if-then statement and it starts in verse one. So here we go. Now that we are well into introducing this thing, you guys ready? Let's do it. So if you have been raised with Christ, that's the if, told you, if then statement to start this. If you have been raised with Christ, some of you, that's as far as you're gonna go today because the Lord has some work to do and you coming into just Christ himself and understanding him. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this beautiful promise, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you've been raised with Christ, listen to me, the central tenet, the central point, belief of the Christian faith is that Jesus is God who came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and then died as a payment for your sins and mine. And three days later, he rose from the grave. You cannot be a Christian without believing that Jesus rose from the grave. And the gospel message says that those who not only believe that, but then receive what he did as payment for their sins and receive his resurrection as victory over death, then we have been raised with Christ. We have new life. And this is the contrast we're going to see all day long. Old life, new life. Old ways of walking, new ways of walking. In this new life, seek. What does he say? Seek the things above. 
set your mind, and I think maybe the problem with a lot of Christians and they struggle with the Christian life is they don't understand how active that word seek is. You notice this? He does not say passively endorse the things above. Nod your head to the things above. It's seek. It's set your mind on. Here's your if-then statement, kind of a summary of these first four verses. If you've been raised with Christ, if that's your identity, then direct your whole life towards kingdom things. If you've been raised with Christ, if not, man, you got to deal with that. But if you've been raised with Christ, direct your whole life towards kingdom things. And y'all, the question is, does that characterize your life? Uh, An example. I'm going to give you one example, um, one that comes up in our passage today, but there are a lot of them. This week in our discipleship plan, we're going to talk about uh, generosity, specifically about money. The reason we talk about it is because Jesus talked about it more than heaven and hell combined. And he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Basically, your money is kind of a thermometer of sorts uh, to gauge your heart. You want to know what you truly love, what you are seeking, what you are directing your life towards, follow your money. So there's a question. What does your money say that you are seeking? What does your money say about how you are directing your life? Money, what's so powerful about it is it is amoral, right? It is not good or bad in and of itself. But the love of it, the craving of it, what does Paul say to Timothy? 1 Timothy uh, 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So in our community groups this week, we're going to talk about the antidote to greed, which is gospel-motivated generosity. And as you redirect your affections, seek kingdom things, the things above, Here's what happens externally. You do that with your money externally. The gospel is proclaimed to more people. It's awesome. But internally, you are changed. You are set free from the old self that used to grip money and the things it could buy. The security that you thought it could buy you by having enough of it. You're set free from it because you realize Jesus bought a kind of security for you you could never have any other way here in this world. He's given eternal life for you. The sense of self-worth that you hope money can give you, it's nothing compared to the worth of being called son or daughter of the most high God. Y'all, some of you have never been taught gospel-motivated generosity, a way to seek the things above with your money. And I hope this year that changes for you. And I hope if you call this your church, that you'll give because the church is God's plan A for the kingdom to go forward here on earth. But I always say this, if you're in a place where you're hesitant to do that, like you're skeptical of the church or a pastor talking about money because of whatever baggage you're bringing, look, don't give here, okay? Just give somewhere to some ministry that's taking the gospel forward to people and watch what God does in your heart. Prove it to you. You come up after service. I will give you four or five ministries Courtney and I support that you can give to that is not here, okay? I just want you to be free from what you thought money could do for you, and then walk in the new self and watch what God does in you, okay? And he keeps saying it, this last part in verse four, directing us back into our passage. There's a promise here that I really want for us. As you live and you direct your life onto the things above, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then, because you are hidden with him, Man, you go where he goes. And y'all, Christians, take, this is what gives us hope. 
one day he will come back here and bring a final forever victory over Satan and sin, and he will sit down on the throne of glory forever, and we'll be there with him. We'll be there. And we say this a lot, man, but our confidence in that day, that's what gives me hope in this day. Because I'm not over here saying, man, your life is going to be easy now that you're a Christian. Absolutely not. It's hard. My hope in that day helps me in this day. But if you are not raised with Christ, if you're not in Christ, none of this applies. Because what happens is people get messed up with Christianity and dealing with the ethics of Christianity before dealing with the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity, man, is Jesus has died for you and has risen again. Some of you today just need to believe. So what does a new life versus old life look like? Now we get into our list, right? And by the way, the point of this list is not a, Patrick, if you had a good week this week, man, you followed Jesus really well this week. Pat yourself on the back, attaboy, girl. If you had a bad week, this list is there to make you feel shame. Neither of those. It's just showing you how to walk, okay? Showing you how to walk to help you flourish as a, flur, uh, flourish as a follower of Jesus. Here we go, verse five. I'm gonna read you five through nine. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have, what does he say, put off the old self with its practices. All right, the first, this is, this is the old life, y'all. And I think what you'll see over the course of really this week, we'll major on the old life, and next week we'll major on what the, the this is old self, next week, new self. And here's something I want to say as we go through, I'm going to go through this list, at least the one in verse five. My concern is that we don't take this list as seriously as God does. Y'all, God says, put this stuff to death. His old Puritan pastor, John Owen, he said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. You pick. And I just think we don't treat this stuff seriously. For whatever reason, look, he starts, I'll start with the first one he says in verse five, sexual immorality. That's any sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and woman. Some of you are like, come on, man. Is it really a big deal if we're sleeping together? Is that a big deal? Well, according to God's word, yes. It is rebellion against God. And it's sin that ultimately harms you, it corrodes your soul, and in the end leaves you more broken in this life and unrepentant, leaves you separated from God for eternity. That's a big deal. And then he broadens it and he says impurity, which is including putting to death any kind of moral corruption. He says lust, put to death the sexual immorality of your thought life. I hear people say, man, it's not a sin if I don't act on it. I can't control my thoughts after all. Y'all, listen, all I know is Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Lustful thoughts are old life that God is calling you to put to death. And maybe that's a bit of a wake-up call for you. But transformation is not gonna happen externally until it happens internally. And you gotta yield even your thought life to God. And then he says, evil desire, impurity, lust, evil desire. Evil desire, man, it's like the impulse to do evil. Put to death, let me see if this, this connects with you. There's an ignition switch in your heart that like 
walks into a moment and sees the opportunity to destroy, to tear down, to hurt either someone else or yourself. And Paul says, that's an evil desire. Put it to death. And greed, the insatiable desire for more. That's just verse five. (laughs) He makes another list in verse eight. I'm not going to hit those individually. They're just as important though. They're the ones that show up again in your interactions with others. And I think if I could categorize verse five and verse eight into two buckets, it would be the sins of lust and the sins of anger. And when either one of those pop up in your life, the sins of lust, sins of anger, what I want you to see is they're like smoke from a flame. And the flame that's creating that smoke is choosing self, choosing old life over Christ, over new life. Now, I want you to see something in there. He tells you to put these things to death, but you have already died to them. This is him saying it's gonna take some active, intentional work on your part to walk in the shoes you already have on. Positionally, thanks be to God, if you're in Christ, you are dead to those things. You have breathed your last breath to sin's dominion. It does not have its reign over you. Praise God. And yet, if you're a Christian, here's what you know. Every single person in Christ knows, man, I've died to those things, but they keep coming back. They keep coming up again and again. That's because they had such deep roots in us, y'all. Look at the list. This is how you walked with the old shoes. And I realize the shoe metaphor breaks down because this wasn't just living lesser, right? This was actually in rebellion to God. That's what sin is. And I want to pause here and I'm like, all right, if that's true, but yet we feel that experience where still it creeps back in. My question is, if we know that that stuff is in direct rebellion to God, why do we keep walking in the old self? Why do we keep doing it? I want to give you a couple of reasons, just a little aside, pastoral aside here, why we do this. Listen, we don't put off the old self. We don't put the old self to death because we're blind to it. Y'all, we're blind to it. Look, becoming in practice what you are in position requires a lot of self-assessment. And what always happens is that there are areas in our character that either because of pride or uh, ignorance, maybe arrogance, we're just kind of blind to how stuck in our lives they are. One of the first areas for me I was completely blind to when I became a Christian was my fear of people, like what people thought about me. And my fear of people caused me to just lie to others all the time to create the perception of myself that I thought they would like, right? It was so entrenched in my habits. I didn't even realize I was doing it. I just knew that I was so paralyzed by fear, even though, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be afraid anymore. There's like 300 Bible verses about that. And yet I'm still afraid. What was going on? Well, the way God revealed this to me and started giving me victory over this was through a combination of reading God's word every day And being in real community, and I say that because there is fake community, being in real community with a mentor type guy who just said hard things that I needed to hear. You need those people in your life who will help you see where the enemy is deceiving you into walking in your old ways. But here's the deal. You got to trust them because y'all, what I see all the time in the church is people get right on the edge of what I think are some real breakthroughs in walking in the new self and somebody says a hard but good word to them that scripture calls them to say and they feel judged and they run. 
And there are a lot of people that have just felt judged and I'm not saying all situations are the same, but I'm saying, man, if you only want somewhere where everybody's only gonna say things you like and you're always going to feel comfortable, that's just not Christianity. The Proverbs say that brotherhood, sisterhood, the family is iron sharpening iron. That, that's, that's not cotton candy, you know what I'm saying? That's metal hitting up against one another. I'm just saying it's worth it. The best thing you can do, find a believer that you respect, whose life you would wanna emulate. I mean, just ask them to be that kind of voice in your life and receive it when it comes. Here's another one. Sometimes it's blind spots, but another one, even more telling, we don't put the old self to death because we are comfortable in the old self. Like blindness is one thing. Didn't realize what we were doing. But for some Christians, it's comfort. We know what God says. Nah, I'm comfortable with how I'm doing it. This is, I see this a lot as a pastor in the area of sexuality. God has this incredible, beautiful design of sex that he created for us, but we're so consumed by our earthly nature, we just prefer the earthly nature. We're just kind of good. Old self. We're like the, um, we're like the kid, little toddler whose parents decide, you know what? It's going to be springtime. We got a good weekend, got days off. I'm going to take you to the beach so that you can see the ocean. And that means going from Charlotte, if you're going to North Carolina Beach, I'm going to drive you all the way down 74. I'm going to drive you down all those dumb roads. You're going to smell pig farms all along the way. It's going to be pretty terrible three to three and a half hours. And we're going to get there, right? And then you get the kid out, you put him over here, and then you're getting all the stuff out of the car. You turn around and look, and your toddler, probably a boy, but I don't know, your toddler is playing in the sewage little puddle that's right by the drain over there, having the time of his life, right? And he's splashing everything. You're like, okay, ugh. But well, this is just life with little kids, right? You're like, all right, time to go see the ocean. It's right there. We made it. And he's like, no, I want to play in my puddle of sewage. I like this. I know this. I want this. But dad, but dad, we got all the way here. It's right there. Come on, we're going. No, I want to play in my puddle. Y'all, a lot of times that is us with God. The old self playing around in this toxic stuff and the new self life God has for us, it's incredible, it's the ocean. And we're just like, no, no, I don't want it because I'm comfortable in what I've got. We just prefer it. We need to see that as sin. We don't need to try and justify our old ways. We need to repent of it, put it to death as God calls us to right here. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying God has something better for you even if it requires great discomfort. The language is put it to death. Y'all, I don't know how to say this, but putting to death is uncomfortable, right? Maybe I, I know of a couple of different families that I've shepherded through this kind of thing that were couples living together, they weren't married, even had kids, and they come under conviction from God and said, I wanna walk in the new life, and I want all God has for us. And I don't wanna compromise in anything. I want all that God has for us. So they trusted God. One couple got married that weekend. Another one, one moved out. They walked through getting ready for marriage and got married because they were like, man, I want all God has for us. Look, you get with a Christian that can help you think through whatever your situation, but put to death the old self. How? How then do we put to death the old self? Here's, I hope you hear this as like comfort. We put to death the old self by depending on God's strength instead of our own. On his strength, not yours. 
it's funny, y'all. We believe that, um, especially our stream, we're big on believing, man. Salvation comes through grace alone. Like God has to do it all. We don't do any of it. God's the one that does it. And then yet we believe that we're supposed to walk this thing out in our own strength and not in his. Christ gives us new life, even though we didn't deserve it. And yet we try and walk as if that same power is not available to us. When those old things creep in, we try and fight them off in our own strength. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, when he is weak, then he is strong. Because God's power is made evident in his weakness. So if right now you're in this good fight, trying to put off the old ways and you feel like you're failing, man, I just want you to know that there is victory for you. You don't have to get stronger. You need to get weaker. Lay down your pride. Get on your knees and be really needy before God. The problem is we Americans have a tough time being needy. That's what he calls us to. You're in Christ now. You're in the realm of the Holy Spirit's power, not your power. The call to put to death is actually a call to embrace and cooperate with the power that is already in you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow him to work. That's what Paul gets into. Now we're getting into verse 10 and 11. Now he's talking about what that starts to look like with this new self. Look at this. You have put on the new self. Man, this is encouragement for you this morning, verse 10. You are being renewed. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. I want you to see right there, God is working in you if you are in Christ. He is renewing you. He is making you more into the image of God. God's not just out there hoping that you get there someday. He put his spirit within you, that conviction you start to feel. That's God working in you. The God who saved you did not leave you. He is with you, renewing you. When you say, all right, God, I want to put off the old self, that's even God stirring up that desire for him. And he is going to help you walk through it. You're not your sin. You're not who you were. And God himself promises he is not done with you. Look, I know many of you feel like you're just kind of grinding it out in life right now. feels like nothing seems different from yesterday or the week before or the year before. But I'm telling you, if you'll walk with him, if you'll depend on him, stay dependent on him. I'm telling you the promise from Philippians 1. He who started a good work will, 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 not might, not if he feels like it, not maybe. This is not a proverb. This is a promise from God's word, he will carry it on till the day of completion in Christ Jesus. You are being renewed, man. So don't give up. He's working. That's why some of y'all need to be around some older Christians. And why you older Christians need to get in community with younger Christians. You've got to tell them this. You've got to encourage them because you've got enough years following Jesus to say, man, I still need him today because I'm not who I know God wants me to be. But thanks be to God, I'm not who I was either. I got some years on me and I'm not who I was. Thanks be to God, only by his grace. I'm not who I was when I was in my teens and 20s. Um, I think about a couple of different times um, as my kids have been growing up, we've been, uh, we love going up to the mountains. And when you go up to the mountains, one of the things that you, um, you do that's like a little tourist trap is gem mining, all right? Which is really wallet mining, okay? That's what it is. It's a scam, but whatever. We do it and... Um, it's fun. At the end of it, you get these rocks, the kids get their rocks, and then you go into the store and they show you like, all right, this rock is this, this rock is this. And then they show you the polished finished versions of them so that your kids will go, will you buy that for me? Because that looks shinier than what I have. And you say, no. 
and then you leave and you go home. So we thought it'd be cool to get our kids a rock tumbler, okay? So what the rock tumbler does, a little yellow barrel, okay? And it looks like something out of an old video game called Donkey Kong. It's a little yellow barrel and it just spins and you put your rocks in there and then you put your sand, grade one sand, and you open up the instructions. We thought it'd be cool to give it to them for Christmas. So we open it up Christmas morning. And it's like, all right, instructions, put your rocks in, put some water in, put the grade one packet of sand in. I'm like, there are four packets in here. So we just do the grade one, okay? You throw it in there. Now they're all in there. You turn it on. It's kind of cool. You hear the rocks tumbling, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Oh, this is cool. What's the next on the instructions? Um, next instruction. Now let the rocks tumble for one week. I got an eight-year-old, man. One week? And then it says, next step, repeat with grade two sand for two weeks. And then grade three sand. Oh, and then there's a polishing sand at the end. It's going to be mid-February before my kid sees some shiny rocks. Like, what? And we did. We, we, you know, we put that thing out in the garage because I was like, I don't want to hear this thing for a month and a half. And put it out in the garage. And at the end of it, it was this really cool lesson that they didn't care at all about. You know what I mean? But man, how much, how much are we like that with the Lord? Man, we want the Lord to microwave our renewing. We want to be different right now, but that's not how he works, and that's for our good. He renews us day after day. And I'm saying this for you who might feel like you're in day 17, just feel like you're just tumbling in the darkness still, and I promise you God is renewing you. And it's not just you. It's all of us. When we eat, here's what, this, this next verse is powerful. When we each go through that, together as the body of Christ, the church starts to look radically different than the world. Look at this. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. What are these things? These are the things that when these people, they were each individually becoming Christians, these are the things that they walked in with. The labels that they walked in with, right? And I like how Paul kind of paired them up as battle lines a little bit, right? To show this is how the, you used to define your place in the world and how the world used to define you. I am not this group, I am that group. This group is right, not that group. This, Paul makes really clear in this whole letter though. He's like, we're not going to be ones that put Jesus among all things, even when it comes to our cultural and ethnic identity, we're going to put Jesus as first place above all things. What makes the church so powerful is that God, Ephesians 2, breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. It's not that our cultural distinctives go away. Because you see elsewhere, Paul's going to say, I think it's Galatians, Paul's going to say um, they're neither male or female. Well, what he's saying is even our gender is subordinate, superseded by who we are in Christ. Same thing is true here with our culture and our ethnic background. It's not that we no longer retain cultural distinctives. It's that we do, but they are superseded by the blood of Jesus who unites us together. So that in here, it was when it came to the cultural side, though it wasn't just cultural, what he's talking about here, but when it came to the cultural side, it was that even their culture, it's not Jew or Greek, it's Christ is all in all. He is first. And I think about it with us and what this means. 
The Christ is first. You're not a white Christian or a black Christian or a Latino Christian. It's not that your cultural distinctive goes away. God created you a certain way and gave you a history and a background and a people, and it's beautiful. But he says, first, you are a Christian. Jesus comes first. And it's true for the whole church. Listen, let's get real. If you're not from either a white or black background, I know you see this as you look into the American South. Sometimes we still talk about churches as the white church and the black church. That's a result of generational division in the South. And I know, Mercy Church, I know, I know this experience. You share this with me. Mercy gets labeled as the white church or a white church. And some of you come from a background you're not white and your friends, family, whatever, wonder why are you attending that white church? That's hard. There is a whole world outside wanting to identify all of us by our race first and telling us we should line up accordingly. And listen, majority culture, white people in this case, there's some truth to that. When one culture dictates everything about how we worship, like you got a bunch of songs that feel like we're slow dancing with Jesus and the church looks like it's sponsored by Old Navy and Target, man, (laughs) it's like there's truth in what's being said. So to all of us, what does God say to all of us? Ethnic identity and cultural identity. We retain it, but it must be secondary to Jesus' identity. That's the, there's no poor church, no rich church. No, it's the Jesus church. It's the new self hidden in Jesus church. And that looks radically different than the world around it. That will put to death anger and malice and greed, whatever else, put on Christ. Y'all, that ain't needy. That, that is not easy. We need to be needy. You know what I'm saying? We need to be on our knees, needy. There ain't gonna be strength. There ain't gonna be clever words. It's gonna be a work of the Holy Spirit's power, not of my words or anybody else's words. The Holy Spirit's power that's gonna bring that, help us to walk in the unity Christ has already brought. Not to forget our culture, but to submit it to the Lordship of Jesus. And when we bring those together, man, listen to me, you bring all our cultures together, redeemed by the blood of Jesus and under the lordship of Jesus, we become something the world does not understand and desperately wants, desperately wants. The world's trying so hard to force diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what it can't understand is that until you have a more unifying power, Christ is all and in all, a more unifying identity, it'll never work. You just pretend for a little while. So may we be the people of God who live as if Christ is first before all things and is all and in all, who really are, 1 Peter 2.10, a new race, the chosen race, the people, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people because once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christ is all in all. Paul's gonna tell us next week a lot more of what it looks like to put on the new self in all of our relationships But to close this, listen, you can't put on the new self until you, the new shoes until you take off the old ones. You can't walk in the old, in the new life until you die to the old one. So I want to close in a time of prayer and response at all three of our campuses, just in a time of prayer of confession, repentance, and, and asking God to help. So our worship teams at all three campuses are going to get into place right now. Don't let them distract you. I want you to respond to the Lord. Would you get into a posture of prayer? You can just bow your head there at your seat. If you feel um, you didn't really sign up for prayer and you're still new to this whole thing, just look at your shoes. Nobody's going to know the difference. It's okay. We're, we're good. Take your next step, man, whatever it is. But if that's you, 
really what I want all of us to do is just take a moment and pray. If you're a Christian, I want you to, maybe even with a posture of open hands before the Lord, what do you need to confess and repent of where you've been walking in the old self? And you need to put on the new self, but you need to do so in Christ's strength, not yours. Would you just confess that to him? Repentance, confession is owning it. And repentance is saying, Lord, help me. I don't want to walk in that anymore. Help me to walk in the new life. If you're not a Christian, I invite you today to receive everything we said started with if, if, if you have been raised with Christ. Would you receive the gospel today? A simple message that you cannot save yourself from your sins, but in his love for you, God sent Christ who lived the life you were meant to live but didn't and who took your payment on the cross where it should have been you, should have been me. He took that payment and he died in your place and then he rose again, giving you forgiveness from your sins and new life. Would you say, yes, God, I believe that and I receive it. Today, I take off the old self and receive new self, new life in Christ. Father, make us a people that continue to be needy. (laughs) We want to be needy for you. We need you. We love you. Help us to walk worthy of the hope we have in Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen.